Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Can we get this mic turned up a little bit? Just kidding. Can we get it turned down a little bit? It was a joke. Sorry. Um, so welcome. My name is Mark. I'm super excited to be here with you guys this morning uh, sharing with you. And I want to start with a, a short story. Um, it was about two years ago. I was uh, working part-time at the church here, and we were getting ready to plant the church in Vandalia. Uh, the building had been um, gutted, and Israel and his guys were in there, and they were remodeling it. We were very, very excited about this opportunity that was happening in Vandalia, and we were really excited about getting to know that community down there and being able to share the gospel with that community and to love on that community. So I was really excited. The church staff was really excited. We were talking about it. And so one day I was talking about it with a group of friends of mine and saying, you know, we're going down to Vandalia and, you know, it's just, there's so many opportunities there to, to help, uh, you know, people that are hurting, people that are lost, you know, people that, you know, maybe are struggling with low income, you know, different op- opportunities. We're just going to love on that community. We can't wait. And one of my friends, um, who is not a believer, uh, is a great guy. I've been really good friends with him for probably 10 years or something. I actually met him at Fanfare while we were playing Star Wars Miniatures. Star Wars Miniatures is an amazing tabletop strategy game. So anyway, we kind of bonded over Star Wars Miniatures, and we've had a great relationship. Come to find out, this guy is uh, an atheist. He doesn't really like Christians, but we have this Star Wars connection. Anyway, so we're, we're great friends. I love him. And he, uh, as I'm telling him about these opportunities in Vandalia, he says to me, he said, that sounds amazing. He's like, if there's ever anything that I can do to help. If there's anything that I could, you know, if I could come down and help out, I would love to, love to do that. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Cool, thanks, Drew. Or person, man. Um, I'm not using his name, so strike that from the tape. Um, and so he offers to come down, not because he cares about Jesus. He doesn't care about Jesus. Not because he cares about the church. He is probably, in a lot of ways, opposed to the church. But the reason he wants to come down is because he cares about people. He just loves people, and he is a caring and a selfless guy, and he wants to, to pour out on, on people that need some help. And, um, and so, in my response was, okay, great, and then I never brought it up again. Because as I was thinking about it, you know, I was like, you know, Vandalia, it's, it's all the way down there. He's probably not going to drive himself. He's not going to go down by himself. And I really like that. It takes about 45 minutes for me to get there. And I kind of like that time. I kind of like just being by myself and kind of, you know, maybe I'll listen to a book on tape or a podcast or something, and I kind of decompress. And then I thought, you know what, in actuality, a better reason not to invite him to come down and help in Vandalia is because he's not even a Christian. Who knows what he's going to say? Who knows what he's going to do? And so what I did, instead of inviting him in and drawing him into this opportunity, I just dropped it and never said anything again. And the reason that I bring that story up is as I was preparing this message, uh, we're talking about 
evangelism this month. We're talking about reaching our community. And as I was preparing this message, uh, I felt so convicted. I felt really convicted because what I'm doing is I'm comparing the heart of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark with the heart of the Pharisees, the religious leaders in that time. And as I looked at Jesus' heart and how Jesus encountered lost and hurting people, I realized that my actions often lined up more closely with the religious leaders and the Pharisees than they did with Jesus. And that's hard. That's hard. And, and so I want to say that at the outset so you guys don't get this wrong impression that I'm standing at this ivory tower saying, you guys should be more like me and you guys should have the heart of Jesus. Now I'm saying that we're all in this together. And there's probably a lot of you that are probably have the heart of Jesus more often. And so praise God for that. But we can all look at the life of Jesus and we can all go, how do we follow him more closely? How do I live like Jesus lived? And so we are in our second week of this series, Come With Me If You Want to Live. And I'm titling this message, The Land of the Lost, because I want to look at how Jesus encountered the people in, in the world. How he encountered lost and hurting people. You know, what was his heart? What did he what, did he come, what was his attitude as he approached these people? And as Graham mentioned, Come With Me If You Want to Live, it's actually taken, right, from probably numerous action movies, but it's definitely from the Terminator movies. And I'm pretty sure that I've seen one of them. I'm pretty sure that I saw Terminator 1, which is apparently the best one. Just hard for me to believe, because it didn't seem that great. But I'm sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewatch it a few times just to, to really inundate myself in it. Um, so I've seen that, and I saw the Sarah Chron Connor Chronicles on TV, the TV show. That wasn't that great. Um, and so anyway, and so to prepare for this message, I went to YouTube, and I just typed in, come with me if you want to live. And there was a video, it's like two minutes, of just all the times in the different, there's three or four movies in this TV show, of all the different times that somebody says, come with me if you want to live. Right? And so it was... Pretty good, pretty interesting, right? And every single time, it was a hero. It was some good guy that was offering this message of hope, that was offering this message of love to somebody who either had no idea that there were dangerous robots coming to kill them, right? Or it was somebody who was running from their life from dangerous robots, right? So somebody was in trouble. And the message that Arnold or some of the other heroes bring, come with me if you want to live, it's not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of anger. It's not a message of, you idiot, how did you get into this situation? No, it is a message of love. It's a message of, of hope, saying that you, are, you don't even know how bad your situation is, and you are at a dead end. You have no way out of this. So come with me if you want to live. It's a message of hope. And as we look at the, the story of, of the Bible, you know, we have, a, we have a hero in our story as well. Right? A lot of times we look at Abraham or Joseph or Paul and we say, these guys are the heroes of the faith. But if we look at the big picture, if we look at the big story, we can see that it's Jesus. That Jesus is our hero. 
and that he came in this time of, of darkness, this time when everything seemed to be going wrong, and he comes, and he is a light in the darkness, and he says to everybody that he meets, he says, come with me if you want to live. And God's heart is this hope and this love, this message that he wants people to come to him. He doesn't want a single person to perish. He wants everyone to know that he loves them and that he's for them. Right? We see that in one of the most famous verses in, in the scriptures, right? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God wants every person on the face of the earth to have life eternal at his side. And he knows that there is only hope through Jesus. And so he sends his son Jesus in the nick of time to come and to bring people into that hope, into that love. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look through the gospel of Mark and we're going to try to see what Jesus's heart, what Jesus's attitude was when he was sent into this world of darkness, when he encountered people that didn't believe like he did, that didn't believe in the, that he was the son of God, who didn't have their theology or the, their doctrines correct. All right, so if you want to stick with me, I don't have the verses up here, but I do, um, I'm going to be going through the first three, four chapters of the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles or your um, cellular devices, you can follow along. In Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus comes onto the scene there in, chapter, in verse 14. He begins his ministry by proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So he comes on the scene. He says, the kingdom of God has come. Come and follow me. Right? And then he in, encounters two guys who are fishing. And he says, hey guys, drop your nets and come and follow me. And the, the gospel of, of Mark, in, in a sense, it was a, um, what do I want to say? Like a, a discipleship training manual for, for the original recipients. It revealed who Jesus was. It revealed Jesus as this son of God, this, um, this compassionate, loving Messiah, right? And it also showed people um, that if you want to follow him, this is what you are to do. So it's a discipleship training manual. All right, and so when Jesus says to these fishermen, come and follow me, he doesn't say, hey, repent, um, you know, make sure that you be believe these doctrines and this is our theology and then you can come follow me. No, he doesn't know anything about these guys. He just says, come and follow me, expecting that as they witness Jesus, as they see Christ moving, they will turn their lives around and they will repent. It's the kindness of God that's going to lead them to repentance, not a demand that they fit inside this theological box, right? And so he says, come and follow me. And they were walking down. And then in verse 32, it says, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And so here, early on in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus encountering hurting and lost people. It's people that are sick. And what does he do? He brings healing. He brings love and he brings compassion. And we'll see that that is pretty much Jesus's MO throughout his earthly ministry. Um, 
a couple of verses later, in verse 40, it says, A man with leprosy came to see him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. He says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So powerful. Again, Jesus brings healing. And to understand the, the full picture here, we have to understand a little bit about you know, what leprosy was like in, in Jesus' day. And leprosy was looked at as, as a curse from God. Right? It was, see here, it, looked, it was a, looked at as an awful punishment. Right? In, in Christ's day, uh, the lepers or people with various skin diseases were not allowed to be inside of these walled cities where many, many people live. They had to, to live outside the walled cities. They had to rend their clothing. Right? They had to uh, walk around saying, unclean, unclean. They weren't allowed to touch anybody. They weren't allowed to say hello to people because in that culture, to greet somebody in, 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 uh, it included physical contact. So they couldn't even say hello appropriately to people. They just walked around and declared unclean. And so as if to just kind of walk around saying, I'm messed up, I'm cursed, I'm a sinner. It's kind of like if I was in middle school, when I was in middle school, if I just walked around saying uncool, uncool. Right? I'm super cool now, but in middle school, it was a difficult time for me. And so everybody already knew that I was uncool. I didn't have to declare it. But basically, these lepers, you know, they, everybody knows that they're outcasts, right? And yet they have to walk around declaring it. And the, the law of Moses said that, you know, you're not, don't touch the lepers don't touch people with these various skin diseases. You know, and the purpose of the law was to protect the community. And yet it had become this hierarchy where these people with these skin diseases were shunned, pushed out of the city, and left alone. Right? And so this guy, he's, he's an outcast. He, you know, he, who knows the last time he's had any physical contact. He, he hears about Jesus who is compassionate and loving and has been healing people in Capernaum. And he comes to Jesus and said, if you are willing, you, would you heal me? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm willing. And not only does he heal him, but he reaches out and touches the man with leprosy. And who knows the last time this man felt physical touch, right? And so Jesus goes beyond the law. He, in a sense, right, he breaks the, the letter of the law to touch this guy and to heal him. But for Jesus, and he teaches this, that compassion for other people is the fulfillment of the law. And so shunning this guy and put, leaving him out to die, that is not going to fulfill the law. That is not going to be pleasing to God. But so Jesus goes and touches the man and heals him. And in Mark chapter 2, he continues his rampant compassion. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And so he's preaching, and you know, he's back, and everybody's heard about him. He's healing people. He healed that leper. Jesus is great. Let's go hear him. Maybe he'll heal us too. And these four guys come with their friend who's paralyzed. And they're like, oh, maybe Jesus will touch my paralyzed friend. 
and they get there and the room is packed out. They can't get in. There's nowhere. They, the windows are all blocked. What are they going to do? So they, they climb up to the roof. You know, a lot of us have heard this story and they, they dig through the roof and they lower the, the paralyzed man on his mat down in front of Jesus. And so here's Jesus in this room, crowded and packed with people, looking for a touch, and all of a sudden this man comes descending down in front of them. And he looks at this paralyzed man, he probably looks up at the four guys who are lowering him. And what does he do? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, what are you, what's your doctrinal stance on the Trinity? You know, he doesn't say, oh, what is your eschatology? You know, are you pre-millennial something <laughs> Real good at that. Uh, <laughs> and he doesn't ask any of those questions. He just forgives the man. He just loves him. And the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus turns to them and says, what is easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you know that the Son of Man has power and authority to forgive sins, he says to the man, get up and walk out. And he heals the paralyzed man. And Jesus just shows his compassion and shows his love. He doesn't say, oh, you know, oh, now, now that I healed you, now here's your expectations. You know, this is what you have to do. No, he heals him, he forgives him, and then lets the guy go. I think that's interesting. And people are amazed. They're like, who is this? Who is this guy? And everybody is amazed. And so we see again that when Jesus encounters the hurting and the lost, he brings healing and forgiveness and love and compassion. And so he's taken off from there. It's a pretty good, that's a pretty good day of ministry, I would say. And he's walking down the street, and there's a man in the tax collector's booth. His name is Levi. And Levi ends up being one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of the closest people in his group, right? And one of the people that he sends out to minister the gospel. Right? And so here's Levi in the tax collector's booth. And to understand the significance of the call of Levi, we have to see that tax collectors were also hated. Tax collectors were also despised because these Jewish people had aligned themselves with the Roman government and they had turned their backs on their Jewish brothers and sisters and they built them out of money by overcharging taxes and the tax collectors got rich off of the the money from the Jewish people and they were despised, they were hated. Right? And so Jesus is walking down the street and he sees this hated tax collector and he says, why don't you come and follow me? And obviously there's some things that Jesus doesn't do that maybe we would expect him to do. Right? We don't, say, we don't see him say, repent, turn from your ways and come follow me. We don't say, see him say, why don't you give back some of that money and then come follow me. He just says, hey you, come and follow me. He invites him in. And people would have been shocked. That would have been shocking in that day. And so he goes with Levi. He ends up eating dinner at Levi's house with some other tax collector friends and sinners. And the the religious leaders are like, what is he doing? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, upon hearing that, in chapter 2, verse 17, says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And so we see Jesus reaching out and, and loving people, drawing people in, inviting people. And I think it's interesting what we don't see Jesus doing. You know, we def- there's definitely times where Jesus gets away early in the morning and prays, super important. But we don't see Jesus just going into the synagogue and kind of staying in there and just, uh, we're, hey, you guys remember Psalm 4? Oh, let's kick it off. Yo, yeah, Psalm 4. You know, and he's just hanging out, you know, singing, si- singing psalms and, and hymns and, and praying for people and kind of in this little holy huddle. Now we see Jesus more often in the Gospel of Mark. He's out there with people showing love and showing compassion. That is Jesus' heart as he shows the heart of the Father by reaching out and loving people. And that's why I found this message so convicting. Because for me, it is a lot easier to stay inside the building, to stay surrounded by Christian people, to stay doing what is easy for me and then justifying it because I'm like, I'm just, I'm loving God. And yet I don't get out there and love people. There, you know, the greatest commandment Jesus said was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and uh, I have been really good, and I think that this church has been super good at the first half of that commandment. Right? We are great at loving God. We are a worshiping church. We are a, a Bible-believing church. We are a giving and a, and a serving church, and that is awesome. But a lot of times in my own life, I see myself going, went to the worship service, uh, read my Bible, you know, talked to some Christians about this, blah, 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 and I check off my spiritual duties, and I'm like, I am pleasing God. Great, good job, Mark. You're doing good. And yet, I have a a friend who's like, oh, can I come to church with you and help serve hurting people? And I'm like, "Mm, that kind of cramps my style a little bit. I kind of want to listen to this new Clive Cussler book that I just got. You know? So, it's convicting. It's hard. But I want to have the heart of Jesus when it comes not to just loving God, because that is so important. Obviously, we have to worship, we have to read our Bibles, we have to pursue God, but not at the expense of forgetting that there is hurting and lost people in this world. And so Jesus has a conflict with the Pharisees in Mark chapter 3, and we're going to come back to that in a second. So he has this conflict... And then in verse 7, he withdraws with his disciples to the lake. And the the Gospel of Mark says that people from all over come to hear him. People from Judea and Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. And so from all over the place, if you look at a map, that's all over the area. People are coming and streaming to Jesus, right? Not because he is standing on a milk crate with his great big Old Testament saying, turn or burn, friends, right? He is loving people. He's having compassion on people and allowing that kindness of God to draw people into his presence and into his love so that they will turn and, and repent. So that gives the Holy Spirit opportunity to work in their hearts that they will turn to God and repent. He shows kindness and compassion. And in Mark 5, I don't really have time to tell the whole story, but Jesus gets on a boat and he goes, sails across the Sea of Galilee to the east to this region of the 
can never remember this word, the Gerasenes, the region of the Gerasenes. And it's here that he encounters uh, a demoniac, a man uh, that is filled with evil spirits, right? And they call, he says, what's your name? He says, I'm Legion. And he ends up casting these demons into a herd of pigs, right? And the pigs race down the hill and they jump into the water. And everybody over there is like, whoa, I don't know about this. We're pretty scared uh, of that guy breaking the chains and living in tombs. But we're not so sure about you either, Jesus. You just killed all of our pigs. And that's kind of a, I don't know about that. Why don't you just take off? And so Jesus does leave, right? But this demoniac, this guy who was cured by, by Jesus says, can I come and follow you? And Jesus says, no, why don't you stay here and be a witness to what I have done and how I have changed your life. All right? He doesn't take the guy through a discipleship training course. He doesn't say, all right, here's the there's tenets of correct orthodoxy. He just says, tell people what I have done for you. And he leaves them there. That's awesome. So Jesus, we see him healing uh, lepers. We see him healing sick people. We see him loving on sinners like tax collectors. We see him loving these Gentiles in the story of the demoniac, right? And he's out there. He's loving people. He shows compassion to every person that he meets. But who do we see Jesus coming into conflict with periodically throughout the Gospels? Jesus often has these encounters with the, the religious leaders or the Pharisees um, in and around Capernaum. And then we're going to look at one of these encounters in Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. And it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, What's lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And so here, Jesus, again, has compassion on this man with, with the withered hand. And the Pharisees are, are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They hate Jesus. Claims to be the Messiah, claims to be the Son of God, does all this crazy stuff, says that they have misinterpreted the law. That's crazy. Let's capture this guy. Let's catch him breaking a law, and then we can get rid of him. And so some commentaries that I read thought that maybe, maybe the Pharisees planted this guy with a withered hand there waiting to try to catch Jesus breaking the law so they could get rid of him. And a lot of times we want to see the Pharisees as these kind of evil, angry guys, right? They're kind of these nameless, faceless bad guys. They're the antagonists of the, the New Testament, always opposing God and always opposing Jesus. You know, we kind of see them as stormtroopers, right? Stormtroopers are just these... Sorry, it works. This one works. They're, they're just... Uh, they're these faceless guys, and you can, you can kill as many stormtroopers you want, and it feels good, right? Luke, Luke blew up the, the first Death Star, right? The... the I, think the, I was trying to remember what it was. There was millions of people on that Death Star. Nobody talks about that. 
right? It's, it's just the empire. They're just bad guys. We can get rid of them. That's good. But, and that's how we look at the Pharisees, right? We see them as just these bad guys that we want to get rid of. But in reality, these Pharisees, these were the, the upstanding uh, conservative evangelical pastors of their day. You know, they loved God. They loved God's word. And they thought that if they could interpret it correctly, you know, then everything would be made right. They'd appease God. He would send his Messiah, overthrow the Romans. Everything would be back in shape. That's what we need to do. And, and their heart, right, was to, to please God. But their hearts had gotten stubborn, it says in Mark chapter 3, that they had hard hearts. And Jesus was unhappy with them. He was distressed with their hard hearts. They had exalted their understanding of the law their, in their traditions of the law, and, and they had forgotten what the heart of the law was. The, the heart of the law was to reveal that God is compassionate, that God is loving, that God cares about people. Right? And they had said, well, you know, we've got the, uh, the, the Old Testament law says that we have to keep the Sabbath, and so that means we don't work. And so, but then they would expound on it, right? And so that means, oh, you can't carry this pot of water from this room to that room, or you can't go you know, walk more than this many steps. I don't know if that pot thing is true. That might not be. But the idea is that they, would, they kind of made all these additions to the law and said that if you follow all of these things, then you will appease God, and then God will be happy with you. And Jesus says, no, you guys have missed it. Right? In, in the Old Testament, in the, the, the prophet Micah says that, I, speaking for God, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You guys, have, you guys have missed the point. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In, in, the, in the prophet Isaiah says, I think it's in chapter 1, that he says, you know, I don't want any more of your sacrifices. I want your heart. I'm not concerned with the, the blood of bulls and goats. I want the heart of my people. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders had gotten so focused on keeping their religious practice and making sure that they were appeasing God by praying this many times a day and, and worshiping and, and obeying this law and that law completely and perfectly that they had forgotten that the heart of the law is to reach hurting and lost people, to show compassion, to show love. And so Jesus comes into conflict with these Pharisees. And he says, you guys have missed it. Your heart's in the wrong place. And that is why I found this message so difficult. Because I can be so pharisaical. You know, I can have this religious spirit. That I can think that if I come to church and I worship or I serve or I do this or that, or if I fast this many times a day, or I read this many Christian books, or I get rid of all my secular DVDs and I, or CDs and just listen to Christian music, then I'm going to appease God and God is going to be happy, right? And that stuff can be good. It's good to pray. We want to have spiritual disciplines. We want to press into God and love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. But if we are forgetting his heart for the hurting and the lost, we are missing an incredibly important piece of the puzzle. Because when we show love to the hurting and the lost, we are revealing God's heart to them, and we are worshiping and loving God as we love others. That's what we're called to do. All right, 
Great, Mark. So what are we supposed to do with this? All right, we're all a bunch of religious people. Probably not you guys. Me and a couple other people. We're religious. We really like staying inside our holy huddle here at, at church, right? But how do we, how do we break out, Mark? It's, it's difficult, right? So I just have a couple of ideas, a couple of thoughts of ways that we can uh, try to align ourselves with the heart of God and not this, this religious spirit, right? And so we want to follow Jesus' example. So I encourage you to, to read the Bible and to see what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? How did Jesus live, right? And in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, it says that we are transformed as we behold the glory of God, right? And so as we look at the scripture, as we look at, at Jesus and we ask him, will you transform me? Will you change me? Will you help me to be a light in this world just like you were a light? Because we have learned, right, that Jesus was sent into this world of darkness, but Seth and Sarah last week, they told us that we have now been given this message of reconciliation. We have been called to be light and salt in this world, and we aren't supposed to just keep that hidden in our church, but we're supposed to take that out to our community. And in the, in the workplace, we can be a light. In the grocery store, we can be a light to Jesus, not by necessarily standing on a milk crate with our big Bible, you know, declaring judgment and anger, but by showing the, the, the kindness of God to every person that we encounter. We can be a witness of Christ. We can serve in the community. There's a lot of opportunities between, you know, the, the Gospel Mission and JLK and Love, Inc. There's a lot of opportunities for us to step outside of our own selfish desires and, and pour into this community. It's a great thing to do. Or you could get involved in some of the New Day outreaches. You know, like I, I mentioned in passing, you know, we have not always been great as a church at, out, at reaching our community. But we are so focused on that right now. We're, that's why one of the reasons why we're doing this series is we are focused on reaching our community. We've created a, a group of people whose sole job, the reach out team, and their sole job is to go, how do we as a church reach our community? And our focus right now at the beginning is on a one mile radius from the church. You know, how do we draw the, the people in, um, what's this, Valleywood, and the people at North Point, and the people across the street here, you know, how do we show God's kindness to them? And it, we're having an outreach on Halloween. It's going to be awesome. I encourage you to come, to be part of that. And not just hang out with your friends, but to, to get to know some of our neighbors and show the love of Christ to our neighbors. And there's going to be monthly outreaches at New Day Vine that you can get involved in and loving on that community. And you can invite people to church. Because as we're focused on, on reaching our community, you know, Sunday morning service is our, it's our biggest outreach. We have many, many guests uh, come in every week. And we want to draw more people in so that they can encounter the, the love of God. They can encounter community and friendship here at church. I'm going to skip this thing here. I'm going to skip that one. It's real good. Um, and, the, and finally, if, if you invite people to church, I encourage you as, a, as an outreach, and I was going to say this even if the serve wall wasn't still up, that we can serve on Sunday mornings. 
right? And the, the reason that we want to serve on Sunday mornings is because we want to create an excellent opportunity for people to encounter God in this place, right? We want, when, when visitors come, we want them to have smiling faces greet them, and we want them to be able to have a warm cup of coffee. We want them to have a place where their kids can be safe and be uh, taught and loved on. Right? We want to have excellent Sunday mornings because we don't want to create any obstacles that would keep people from encountering God in this place. And so I encourage you to consider serving on Sunday morning. And many, many, many people do. We have an incredibly serving church, and we thank you for that. So that's what we do. Let's align ourselves with Jesus. Let's love people and show God's compassion everywhere that we go, in everything that we do. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we love you so much. God, would you help us to be transformed into your image? God, would you help us to be more and more like Jesus, to love people well, to, to show your compassion and your kindness everywhere we go. We want to be more like you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.